Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while, right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle, so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 285, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained, people. It's time, man. We are on our final podcast before the Dallas Cowboys will kick off on Sunday night football, opening the 2022 season officially against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We won't record another podcast until after that game with our immediate reactions on whatever happens. We're going to take a look at that. Mike McCarthy with some some answers to some questions in his media conference from earlier this week kind of gives you an idea, I think, some of the way that this game is going to have to play out. Makes a lot of sense. We'll take a look at that. We got some stuff to get to in the block. And the NFL, man, the NFL... Jacques and I were talking about this before we started recording, and we'll dive into this. This is one of those years, and we saw it last year. There was no dominant team last year. There were a handful of teams in the NFC that went 12-5. and five. I think Green Bay was 13-4, and four, and kind of the same thing over in the AFC. Just nobody could pull away from the pack, and I, I think the NFL's gotten exactly what they want. You're going to get that again this year. So we got all that to dive into, but none of it happens without Robert Greening, the green team at Greening Law. Many of you know I was hurt in a car accident over a year ago, and I am still dealing with back pain that is annoying on its best day and takes the breath away from me on the worst days. And I'm going again next week for another epidural steroid injection in my back. So I'm still dealing with this. And, and then from after you have the third one... Then we'll reevaluate and see if this thing is going to have to have like some sort of a surgery on it because it just is, it's just one of those things that's annoying. Well, the good news is I'm not the one that deals with the doctors and the insurance companies and the scheduling and all this. Greening Law does all that for me. They took me on as a client and they handle all that. It really is as simple to me as, hey, Matt, focus on getting better. Focus on your renewal. Here's where you need to be. And let us know how you're feeling and, and what else we can do for you. And they handle all the stuff behind the scenes. That's what Greening Law can do for you. 
does it get any better than that, man? And uh, frankly, it doesn't. And that's why if you're involved in an accident like Matt was, if you're involved in an accident at a park, at an apartment complex or a business or a construction site, any of that, man, pick up the phone, call 972-934-8900. Tell the green team your circumstance and hope like heck they take you on as a client. Because if they do, as I like to say, it really is your lucky day. Because those guys will walk you through this really tedious, at times complicated, laborious process. They'll fight for you. So as Matt says, you can, get, you can focus on getting better. It's exactly right, man. It's easy to do, too, because that consultation is free. If you think you have a case, if you are hurt in a car accident, if you've experienced malpractice, if you were injured on the premises of a business, give the green team a call. 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. And Dallas, Texas, well, technically Arlington. You know, Arlington people, they go ballistic. What? The game's not in Dallas. It's in Arlington. Ah! Chill out. We get it. We get it's in Arlington. They're also still called the Dallas Cowboys. So what are you going to do about that? <laughs> But this is a really interesting game. This is going to be, I think, an interesting first couple of weeks. Tampa, we know it's Tom Brady. But one of the things with Tampa is, and and this is really interesting. As a matter of fact, I think I'll go ahead as we're kind of breaking down this game and telling you who we think is going to win and why. I'll go ahead and, and play one of these clips from McCarthy here because this is one of those things that he said about how the Cowboys are going to have to attack essentially defensively with Tom Brady at quarterback and with their pass rush. And here's what he had to say about the Cowboys' ability to rush Tom Brady. Well, I'll say this. Um, you know, something that I've always paid attention uh, to from that side of the um, of the ball, particularly when you talk about pass rush, pass rush plans, I think the older, the older more experienced your quarterback is, the more inside pressure you got to give him uh, because – you know, their ability to step and slide and slip, uh, you know, that, the, the number of reps that 10-plus-year quarterbacks have, I mean, that, that's that's really so much in their wheelhouse, you know, the ability to play within the A and B gaps. So uh, the edge stuff doesn't bother them as much. Uh, you know, they've seen it. They felt it. Um, they're, you know, they got great experience of taking a deeper drop, setting it high to buy themselves another yard and a half in their platform. So all those things are, you know, they come with experience, you know. So, but yeah, I, I've always felt, you know, it's, and it's something that, you know, coaching, old, I've you know, been fortunate to work with older quarterbacks. You, you got to really, you know, we always talk about those A and B gaps. You got to, you know, no one runs through the A and B gaps. You got to keep them, you got to keep those A gaps clean. And, and I think their center does a great job of swiping is what we call it. You know, anytime he's free, he goes and, swipes you know, one of your defensive tackles to open up that A-gap. So um, I think they do a nice job of that. See, and he's talking about it, and I think that's interesting. And, I, and I, I say that because of this. Like, we know, obviously, Tank and then Micah Parsons, who are very capable on the edge. But what he's talking about is with a quarterback like Tom Brady, and we've seen teams that can effectively get pressure up the middle disrupt Tom Brady. Well, how about this? And I, I think this is an interesting thing for Tampa Bay. The Bucs will be starting a rookie at left guard named Luke Gadecki, who is a second-round pick out of Central Michigan, and their center is a second-year player who has never started a game in the NFL. He played in eight games last year, only got 31 snaps in the NFL. So there are two guys that he's talking about there at that gap right there at center and left guard are extremely inexperienced, and I'll be very curious to see if the Cowboys are able to exploit that a little bit. I think... Um 
That's really interesting. I mean, but uh, to me, it's more about will they move, you know, Tank Lawrence inside and let him attack that way um, because you, you hope that he can use his superior pass rush skills, especially against guards who are typically in centers who are typically your, your, your poor pass protectors uh, to really create some pressure up the middle because the only way that I've seen uh, since I've been covering the Cowboys to beat Tom Brady and trust me, I ain't breaking no news here. It's with pressure with your front four and pressure up the middle. Uh, then you can drop seven. Then you have a chance. You still might not win, but you got a chance. But if you can't pressure with four, you have zero chance to beat Tom Brady. So says history. Yeah, and and that's where, again, you know, you hear Mike, Mataw- Mike McCarthy talk about that. And it's one of those things with that type of experience where Brady has seen it all do you find a way to maybe get Parsons where you're hitting the A gap and the B gap like McCarthy's talking about where you're getting pressure up the middle? It, that's going to be really interesting to me. But I, again, when I was looking at their roster and seeing who they put at center, and part of that is because of the injuries that they've had on their offensive line and the retirements, they've been forced to probably use a couple of guys that I don't even know going into training camp that they were planning on getting this type of, of look. But that's what they're going to be doing. That's what the inexperience of that real interior of the Bucks line will be facing against this Cowboys defense, against Gallimore up front. And, and maybe you're, you're throwing, you know, like I talked about, Micah Parsons, maybe you're rushing him, kind of hoping that Gallimore and, you know, that's why they drafted John Ridgeway. They wanted those big guys that can eat up a lineman that can free some space for guys like Parson to get through and make a play on the quarterback. And... You know, you you have to do that, man. You can't allow Tampa Bay to run the ball and then think that you're going to beat Tom Brady because when they're two-dimensional, they're almost impossible to beat. Um, so it's even more important that a guy like Ridgeway, a guy like Gallimore, a Ziggy Dewey, they all play well and, and keep that running game in check and hopefully force them to throw the ball, man. Uh, then you have a shot. If you can't do that, you really have no shot. So you, you look at some of the other things that McCarthy had to say. That was talking about the Cowboys' pass rush in particular. Another thing that McCarthy talked about, and this is something we kind of mentioned a little bit on the podcast last episode. Dan Quinn has talked about this, but he was basically asked about the Dallas defense and the speed that this defense has that we keep hearing about. Well, I didn't have GPS in 2010, so um, that's the highest rated defense that that I've ever had as a as a head coach, um, and I, I think this one definitely has, you know, has the look and has the, the ability to be that caliber of a defense. So, um, I mean, if you go from start to finish, you know, from the off-season program, the OTAs, um, you know, through training camp, and you know, and, and I, I think it'll be the case when we line up Sunday night. Our, our defense has been extremely, extremely consistent, and uh, and I think it's clearly the benefits of year two with with Dan and his staff and the players and. Uh, you know, our depth is really, uh, is, I mean, it's clearly reflected in our 53-man roster. So we'll see. I mean, but again, you keep hearing a lot about this, about the speed of the defense, the speed of the defense. I, I think it was Trayvon Diggs was asked about it. He's like, well, I'm really fast, and Micah's really fast, and AB's really fast, and, and Tank's really fast, and they've got all this speed on defense. And the more you hear about it, and I'm trying not to drink the Cowboys Kool-Aid that they want me to drink here. But so many of them are using like the same word over and over. Speed, speed. You just keep hearing that word. 
And even you, Jacques, even you were saying, look, I think this is a year. Cowboys are going to have to win with defense. This defense has a chance to be really good. And it's hard to wrap your mind around that maybe this can be a good team because of the defense and not necessarily the offense. Well, if you play a certain way, it can be. You've got to play complimentary football and you got to give your defense an opportunity to thrive. And then that gives you a chance to win games in the fourth quarter with your defense and your kicking game and stuff like that, man. But uh, we all know the defense was good last year. Uh, they, they, they created turnovers, um, something we hadn't seen around here in forever. Uh, and so when you've got speed, that's great, man. You can run to the football. You can get a bunch of guys around the football. You can create turnovers. Uh, you just got to get make sure that you don't get overwhelmed when it's bully ball. Um, you know, when teams just line up and say, we're not going wide, we're going right at you, which which uh, reduces the, the impact and effectiveness of your speed. And then you got to play big time, big boy football. Um, that's why they got those guys in the middle that we just talked about. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to see it. Tom Brady doesn't give you a lot of turnovers, man. But Tom Brady also ain't trying to get hit. So if you can pressure him, he'll throw the ball away. He'll take a dive because he's not trying to get hit at 45 years old. Uh, he, he's been like that for a minute. So, um, this, you know, man, to me, it ain't really about the Cowboys' offense in this game. It's really yeah. like we've been saying. It's about whether the defense can create some turnovers and some short fields and then contain Brady and that group of receivers that they got that's really good so that they aren't going up and down the field. Yeah, and that's where this is going to get interesting, and they might have caught a break because as we record this on Thursday evening, Chris Godwin did not practice today for the Bucs. He had been practicing all week, and they held him out today. He's now a game-time decision, and he may not be able to go. That would be nice, but you still have Mike Evans. You still have Russell Gage, who they signed in free agency this year. You still have Julio Jones, who it sounds like Julio Jones has almost rediscovered himself. And, and I, I read somewhere that now – He's talking about he might want to play a couple more years as long as Brady is around because Brady makes the game so much easier for him. And, and I believe that. They've got speed. Brashard Perryman is there in, in Tampa as well. And then obviously it tied in with Cameron Brait and Kyle Rudolph, who they signed in free agency, of course. So they've got a lot of offensive options. It is going to be interesting in a secondary that, I, especially with their ability to cover, we all like Trayvon Diggs a lot, but Jacques and I have talked about it a couple times this offseason. There are times where he will go for a play that when he doesn't get, he allows a big play. These are the types of receivers and quarterback who can exploit that. And I also will be very curious to see with their second options, with Anthony Brown and Jordan Lewis, how well they can match up with some of these other receivers that Tampa has outside of Mike Evans. Well, you know, a key thing, man, we'll, we'll see if, if Jordan Lewis is healthy enough to play. He's been bothered by that groin. And if he doesn't, probably Deron Bland will get, in, get an opportunity to fill in for him and do his thing. But, bro, they're going to come after Trayvon Diggs with the double moves early. And we'll see how good his eye discipline is. And, and you know, for those of you who don't know, eye discipline is just, are you seeing what you see or are you guessing? See what you see and react to that. Don't guess. And uh, they're going to attack him early and late with those double moves. And let's just see how he reacts, man, because he's he's on the ball. He's a playmaker. I love that. But you can't be giving up big plays every game. No, and, and it's interesting, too, because we all recall how fun that opening game was. Remember last year on that Thursday night, Dallas and Tampa opening up the whole season. And, and that was such a fun game. A lot of offense in that game. A lot of passing yards. 
But it's interesting because this year you look at the Dallas defense, you go, okay, it's going to be an interesting matchup. Same is true for the Dallas offense against this Tampa Bay defense. I mean, this is a defense. You got Vita Vea sitting there on the nose in the middle of their 3-4 with William Golston and Akeem Hicks. You've got Devin White, Levante David, and oh, by the way, Shaquille Barrett still hanging around as their linebackers. And then in their secondary, you got Carlton Davis and you got Anton Winfield Jr., who are very, very good players in their secondary. So this is a really interesting matchup where I almost wonder if we're going to see more of a defensive battle than the offensive battle that we saw last year. Part of this, and you kind of mentioned this, the Cowboys are going to want to run the football this year. We heard Jerry talk about it, played all those clips from him on our last podcast. Oh, wait, 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 the net is when we uh, uh, run, run the football. And, and they want to run the football. Well, this is what I think is interesting because this is here, Mike McCarthy talking about Tampa Bay and how well they will defend the run. If you look at the way Tampa Bay, you know, plays defensively, you know, first starting with their personnel, but then obviously the way they challenge us schematically. I mean, if you go back to our game last year, uh, they made a very, very strong commitment to the to the box, as you know, as far as you know, one, one more hat than than we had as far as you know, um, you know, formation and so forth. So um, they did it throughout the whole season. Uh, how they're going to play Sunday night, that's, you know, that's what we'll see. But at the end of the day, uh, you have to run the football. Uh, there's definitely points in the game you, that you have to be able to run it when everybody in the stadium knows you're going to run it. So and that's, you know, that's our mindset. So you think about this and you talk about a team who, by all admissions, wants to be able to run, establish the run, and then build off of that. And then your coach telling you, well, this is a team that's going to, they don't want you to run. They want you to try and throw on them. And It'll be interesting because, and we'll get to the Zeke Pollard thing here in a sec, but you look at Zeke, historically in his career has started slow in the first week or two of the season. You know, last year he had 11 carries for 33 yards against Tampa. Pollard only had three for 14, and it led to Dak last season throwing it 58 times. We forget how many times Dak threw the ball. And we've all, I mean, Jacques, we talked about this on the radio. We've done it on the podcast. The magic number for Dak is really 35 or less. You, yeah, that's, you, you don't that's what he's at his best. If, if, and I'm telling you, man, if they go out on Sunday night and he has to throw it over 40 times, they're losing the game. Well, you know, the other thing is, man, last year they just they just gave up on the run. They're like, ah, we can't do this. And uh, they, they never really gave themselves a chance to establish it. The running game. If you're going to rock with it now, it ain't sexy. The running game is early in the game. It's two, it's three, it's five, it's two, it's one, it's minus one, it's six, it's four, it's minus three, it's two, it's three. But you got if you can keep getting with it, and here's the key, bro. Can you convert on third down, third and short, third and medium, so that you get another four downs to keep banging? It's I mean, and again, this ain't rocket science, man. It's like going to the body as a boxer. Early in the, early in the fight. It don't pay that. I mean, it's just not that big a deal. But what it does is it wears you down. It beats you up. And then you go for the knockout late in the fight. And that's what you hope to do with the ground game. You hope third quarter, fourth quarter, you start exploding. And those fours and fives become tens and twelves. And you break a big one. And then you just go ahead and close it out. And so if they will be stubborn with the run against a team that don't like to, don't like to let anybody run, you know, that's the uh, – that's the fight to me, man. Who can impose their will the most? It's, it's cliche to say that, but in this case, it's true. Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting to see also this Cowboys 
it really sounds like Michael Gallup's not going to play Sunday night. And if he doesn't play Sunday night, I'm going to be fascinated to see CeeDee Lamb, who you got to think they're going to put Carlton Davis on, who's a good cornerback, a cornerback that had four picks two years ago. And you wonder if they're going to shadow Antoine Winfield Jr. over the top on him, who is a Pro Bowl safety. And you just say, we're going to do our best to make it very difficult to get CeeDee Lamb the ball. Let's see if Noah Brown and these other dudes we've never heard of can beat us. It's the only strategy to employ, bro. <laughs> you don't get no credit for employing that. Matter of fact, you're dumb if you don't. Uh, Ty Bowles, good friend of mine uh, from his time in Dallas. Uh, you know, I'm sure they'll go that route, man, or something very similar. That and, you know, Tampa Bay uh, with Bowles likes to bring pressure. They like to bring it. They like to attack. And, uh, you know, we'll see if they also do that. We will. It, it, but our final clip I wanted to play for you, and this is one thing, I think it was Chill that asked McCarthy directly about this, this idea of Zeke and Pollard getting on the field more together. And the question was basically, is this a running back pair or is it more of a true tandem situation where these guys are pretty much equals? Here's how McCarthy answered that. Oh, I think they both, I think they both hold their own as, you know, I mean, I, I look at both those guys as, as number one runners or however you want to categorize it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Tony can play, you know, I think when you look at running backs, you know, I'm not, I know how I define them, you know, um, their ability to play on all three downs and, and Zeke and Tony both have that, that ability. I mean, Zeke's done, Zeke's done his whole career. Uh, so uh, I, I think they're definitely a tandem, you know, and, and it's obviously a focal point for us. So we'll see how this lays out, but all we've heard, and again, we heard, I feel like we heard this last year too, though. Got to get Pollard more involved. That's, Pollard that's needs, why I'm paying attention to it. Right, and that's and we've heard this all throughout the course of training camp and, and heard all these things of finding ways to use Pollard more. It's just hard to believe until we get to the games and we start seeing that they're actually going to make an actual effort to do it. <laughs> well, yeah, because, I mean, they've talked about it all the time. And, you know, in, in their defense, Pollard – has never been the guy in high school. He wasn't the guy in college, and now he hadn't been the guy in the NFL. And it's hard to be that guy, that featured guy, if you've never done it. And, um, you know, that, that goes against him. But, hey, man, um, he's an explosive player. He's one of their most explosive players. They're a team that we think, I think, is going to struggle offensively to generate points and big plays. They need Tony Pollard involved and however they can get him involved and get him in space. I think he averaged just about nine and a half touches a game last year. Um, I don't know what the right number is. I just know it when I see it. We'll see on Sunday night, man. But this is one of those games. I, I just, and I, I've talked about this. I'm trying to keep this in mind. They're at home. You've got a good defense, we believe. I just wonder when, again, Tampa's got a good defense. And I don't know what to expect from this group of wide receivers from the Cowboys. I don't know how effective they'll be able to move the ball on the ground. And I just kind of feel like at some point, Tom Brady's going to figure you out on the other side of the field. And that's why I kind of think that Tampa comes into Dallas on Sunday night, and I think Tampa's going to go home with the win. What score you get, bro? See, this is where that gets interesting for me. Yes, yes, yes. Let us hear. Let be us hear. Because... <laughs> Well, this is one of those things I keep going back and forth. I'm like, all right, like at some point, Brady's going to drop off, right? I mean, you can't be 45 years old and play at this level for forever. Okay. Like, I keep thinking that. And I do think the Cowboys defense, I'm going to buy into the fact that I believe in the Cowboys defense and their ability to make plays. 
but Tom Brady, generally speaking, it's hard to trick him for these turnovers that the Cowboys did so well last year. Unless there's like some, you know, one of those plays where the receiver kind of bobbles the ball a little bit and then you get a pick or something. Tampa is actually favored by two and a half in Dallas, which means if they were at home, Vegas would be telling us they're about a five to six point favorite. And that's kind of where I see this thing. I'm going to go with Tampa winning this thing and barely covering. Give me the Bucks 24 to 20. All right. All right. I, uh, I picked the Bucks. Um, 21-16. All right. Because I think your Dallas Cowboys are just going to have a hard time scoring points and moving the ball. Hope I'm wrong. Would love to see them um, surprise me and get a dub. I just ain't expected it. Yeah, I'm I'm not either, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> and then we'll turn our attentions and we'll see what we think with Cincinnati in week two. I just got to I got to see it, man. I got to see them getting Pollard more and I got to see this group of wide receivers actually work and maybe they will. And then I'll have a different outlook going into the Cincinnati game. But right now, I hate to say it. I think the Cowboys start the season off with a loss, much like they did last year. They bounced back. They were fine when the division went to the playoffs. So we'll see how it starts this year. Yeah, but I'm, I'm I'm fascinated to watch him get down and, and see what see what happens. Yeah, so we'll talk when we're on here on Sunday night after the game. Maybe we'll be going, well, looks exactly like how we thought. I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> or we'll be thinking, my God, okay, Jalen Tolbert's legit. Like, holy crap. I mean, who knows? I, I, I literally don't know what to expect. I can't tell you. That's one of the things I like knowing what to expect, which is why I love my bruised biltong. Because, and again, for those of you that don't know biltong, it's like beef jerky, but it isn't. It's a traditional South African air-dried meat. And one of the things that I like about biltong is I know every time I'm going to get something that's tender, it's savory, it's low calories, it's high protein. I know when I open my bag of bruised biltong, I'm getting a tasty snack. Dude, biltong rocks for me. And, you know, I got to admit, man, you know, I heard biltong, South African dried meat. What, what the heck is it? Man, it's delicious is what the heck it is. <laughs> and I like it because, you know, it's also got 230 calories, 30 grams of protein, and two-ounce pouch. What, what else do you want for a guy like me who's trying to, uh, you know, keep his weight under control? It's a great afternoon snack. It's succulent. It's juicy. It's tender. It's built on. It is. It's so good. It's so very good. And if you haven't gotten yours yet, you need to jump on bruisebiltong.com. B-R-U-S. B-I-L-T-O-N-G, bruisebiltong.com. Use that promo code JAM15 at checkout, 15% off your order every time. Only for Jam Session listeners, because we're the only podcast he's ever worked with. He loves you guys, so keep supporting him. We always appreciate that. Also, of course, Jacques Nose, JR and his crew over there at Freeway Tire Shop just north of downtown Dallas. If you have not taken your vehicle to Freeway Tire Shop yet, You're going to need an oil change sometime soon. You're going to need a state inspection. Go there for that, and you'll be blown away at the level of customer service you experience just for an oil change. And then when you need more serious work, you'll be like, I know where to go. Dude, JR and his crew, they rock, man. And uh, y'all know, I take all my cars over there. I got six of them. I take them over there because I trust JR, man. I trust him to diagnose the problem that's wrong with my car. I trust him to use quality parts to fix my car. Not everybody does, and if you don't, You'd be shocked at how frequently you got to come back to get the same thing fixed because the parts just wear out. I trust them to give me a fair price. I know. What a novel concept. Can you just give me a fair price, man, whatever that is? And then, bro, I trust him to stand behind his work because everybody don't. 
That's why you need to take your car to JR. He's five minutes uh, north of downtown, right off of 35 in Commonwealth. It's worth the extra time, if it is for you, to go to a mechanic that you trust. I rock with him. You should, too. Freeway Tire Shop, online at freewaytireshop.com. Schedule an appointment, request a quote, get it done. Let's take this trip around the block because we all are experiencing something extraordinarily historic. And that is the fact that on September 8th, Thursday, September 8th, Queen Elizabeth II passed away at the very old age of 96 years old. And, you know, you see us go, okay, whatever. I mean, she was 96. What a long, full life. I mean, like bonus years galore, pretty much. But I, I am fascinated by this. Because, like, the whole idea of a king and queen is, is very interesting to me. And Queen Elizabeth is the longest-serving monarch in British history. She served over 70 years as queen after she became the queen in February of 1952. <laughs> and I was wow. thinking about this as, like, my mom and dad were born in 53. In their lifetime, they've never seen another queen or a king like that's all they've known and that this means that coming up at some point in the near future we'll get a coronation ceremony as next in line is prince charles who was diana's husband that dude is now king charles assuming that he keeps that name he's 73 years old like there's a good chance that king charles will only be king for a handful of years and then i guess it would be i think prince williams is that edward william I don't know no, who it is after William. him. I think it's, it's William. But man, this yeah. whole thing with king and queen and all, because, you know, you hear about this and I've always thought, oh, it sounds like something that happened in the 1600s. True that, true that. Good afternoon, queen. Yes. Hear, hear, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> all hail. You know, now they've done that show on Netflix called The Crown, which I've never watched, but is the only Netflix show to ever win Best Outstanding Drama Series. And it's supposed to be phenomenal. And it's basically an episodic show over the course of a few seasons that tells the story of Queen Elizabeth II. How wild is that, bro? And now she has moved on. Yeah, I can't. Uh, you know, I, I, I understand. You know, my mom used to be heavy into the monarchy, man. She was very interested by it. Uh, she did not pass it on to me. She was all into Princess Die. I don't know why. She was all into the wedding. And again, so many people were. That's like one of the most watched television events in history. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I was a kid then, but even still, well, I guess I wasn't a kid, but it, whatever it was, man, I just I just couldn't get down with it. And um, so it's interesting to see how to go now to see if when all this happens over the next few days, next few weeks, whether, you know, I'll really be all that interested. Yeah, it's. It's one of those things, I guess, just because I've never seen a coronation ceremony that I'll probably watch it because it just seems so cinematic. I mean, I have no, I mean, what are they going to do? Shoot like holographic birds into the air? And I don't, I, I can't even fathom the type of stuff that they have at coronation ceremonies. <laughs> you know, but it just, it seems like a movie, right? It seems like something that we watch in old timey movies. All hail the king. And they play special music and you bow to the king and he taps you on the shoulder with his sword or some crap. I mean... I don't know what's going to happen, but I was looking at this because, and I don't know how many people are familiar with the role of the queen. I certainly was not. That that was my, I was going to ask you, like, what does the queen do now besides just getting money for so you know, being themselves? The queen or the king is a constitutional monarch. She is the United Kingdom head of state, 
but her powers are symbolic and ceremonial and they remain politically neutral. They receive daily dispatches from the government in a red leather box, such as briefings <laughs> ahead of important meetings or documents that need a signature. But they're, they currently, with the current British prime minister, who's like our president, this is the 15th prime minister that served under Queen Elizabeth before she passed away. And they met every Wednesday at Buckingham Palace and would keep the queen informed on government matters. But the meetings are completely private. There are no witnesses and there's no official record of what is said. Okay. <laughs> right. So this is really interesting. So the queen also performs, an, an, or the king also performs a number of parliamentary functions. They appoint a government. The leader of the party that wins in the general election is called the Buckingham Palace, where they are formally invited to form a government. And then the queen formally dissolves the government before a general election. They also begin the parliamentary year with the state opening ceremony in which the king or queen sets out the government's policy plans in a speech delivered from the throne in the House of Lords. Wow. Which is, right. And then royal assent, when a piece of legislation is passed through parliament, it must be formally approved by the king or queen in order to become law, although the last time the royal assent was refused was in 1708. <laughs> so, okay, that's pretty much the the I epitome mean, of the rubber stamp. Pretty much, just really, really weird. But you know, and, and for those of you, if we have any British over there across the pond listeners, I mean, this is like a huge deal to them. Like the king and the queen, this the whole royal family is still such a big deal. Yeah, but they got no real, like, I, I guess it's just ceremonial now for the most part. But they're still getting paid, bro. Yeah, Big I mean, dollars. obviously that family is rich as hell, you know. And, and again, like, they they regularly host audience with members of the Privy Council, host heads of state, and meet foreign ambassadors and high commissioners based in the United Kingdom. And they also lead an annual remembrance event in London. I don't. I don't know, man. All right. <laughs> I just want to know how you're gonna find time to watch all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I like. I remember stuff like this. It's kind of intriguing. Where I might turn it on. It'll probably be one of those things that for us, you know, because over there, if it happens in the morning, like at the coronation ceremony begins at 10 a.m. Over here, it's 4 a.m. Right. I was gonna say you got this six-hour difference. So I don't know, but apparently, yes. So Prince, now he immediately becomes King Charles. He is King Charles right now. And then they will have an official ceremony, to, a coronation ceremony at some point. And yes, that's correct. So now next in line is Prince William and his wife, Princess Catherine, the Duke and D Duchess of Cambridge, as they are known now. And now, so, let me ask you, because Harry and his wife booked up, are they still in line of succession or no? I think if, like, William were to die before he became king, it doesn't look like it. it, it it's showing here on the line of secession that I'm reading that William's oldest son, Prince George of Cambridge, is next in line after him to become king. Yeah, see, I think Harry gave all that up. When Apparently he, when he did. When he and his, uh, his wife, Meghan Markle, got mad at uh, whatever was going on with the royal family. Yeah, this is really interesting. So Charles will become king. And by the way, apparently, they, they like if he doesn't want to be known as King Charles, he can pick his king name. Really? Yeah. He could be like 
man, I hated my name all this time. I never wanted to be Charles. I, I wanted to be, you know, Billy Bob. And he could just change his name to King Billy Bob. I mean, this is really interesting, man, because, okay, I already see it being reported. Yes. He's going to keep the name or he's going to change it to Elrod? He will officially be known as King Charles Third. Oh, so this is like a Pope thing. That's why he can change his Apparently, name. Apparently, he becomes King Charles Third. His title is monarch with the personal choice that was entirely his own. He has opted to use his Christian name just like his late mother, Queen Elizabeth II. Hmm. The new, they say the new monarch could have followed royal tradition. God, did you just rip ass? <laughs> oh, my God, you are. You're sitting there ripping ass. No, I didn't. Then no, what I was didn't. that noise? That was a seat cushion. We are talking about the king and queen of England, and you are ripping ass. We're not going to get invited to Buckingham Palace. No, no, that was a seat cushion when I moved. Yeah, move again. (laughs) (laughs) I hate these fucking microphones. God, dude. They're microphones. They pick up sound. The first one I heard it, and I was like, I think that was a fart. And then you did it again. I was like, that was obviously a fart. Jeez, man. <laughs> Let's move on, man. <laughs> All right. So apparently a lot of them thought that he was going to follow royal tradition and become King George the Seventh. Really? Yes, but How he just deci- be 73 years old. Say, I don't know, man. Hey, call me George. I have no idea. I mean, you know, your wife would be making love to you. Hey, Charles, I love you. No, peasant. <laughs> I am My King George, George the 7th. Call me King George the 7th. Because that's always what I want to know. Do you, okay, do you boys still call you names? I don't know. You were Pickles, man, back in elementary school. We call you Pickles. We're not calling you whatever your, your monarch name is. Yeah, and, and apparently the prime minister has made the announcement saying, Today the crown passes as it has done more than a thousand years to our new monarch, our new head of state, His Majesty, King Charles III. And then that hey, was... Hey, 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 hey. Hey, all hail the king. And they play British music and powder their wigs and stuff. <laughs> and that seems pretty awesome. I got to tell you, if I was a royal person and yes. I was going to become king, I would choose Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> it's a very biblical name. Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> no, straight. And people would have to refer to me, all hell King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> and nobody could do it. And then I would make it, if you laugh when you say my name, I will, I will cut off your head. I was going to say, they certainly can't do it with a straight face. I would rule with an iron fist. I, I'd be the guy, if you chuckled at me, I would just slice your head off. I feel like kings can get away with stuff like that. I'd ruin with a platinum fist because I'm that kind of dude. I understand. You know, then like everybody gets upset at you. He's so mean and violent. Off with his head. And they have to obey you because you're the king. Yes. Uh, Yes. That'd be fascinating. But anyway, now this kind of makes me want to watch The Crown and learn a little bit more about Queen Elizabeth II's life. Uh, No. No, No. you're not into that? No. You don't like English people? <laughs> well, they don't. They don't want to hang out with you because you just fart in their presence, and they can't handle that. <laughs> well, if I were royalty and you laughed when the when the monarch passed gas off with your head, kill him. 
God, dude. Holy crap, that was wonderful. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It kind of was. Come on. No, it wasn't. Everybody likes that, I feel like. <laughs> I thought I was here minding my own business, comfort of my own home. Well, I mean, to be fair, we are in the comfort of our own homes. And I was trying not to be loud and, you know. It felt like it was too much pressure to be silent, but I didn't think it would be pick up. I didn't think anybody would hear. Okay. And when right. the first one popped out, nobody said anything, meaning Matt. I thought I was clear. Well, yeah, and, and I thought, okay, you know, and, and I'm sure you were leaning over trying to spread the cheeks so it would just air would <laughs> no, come out, no, and, no, and no. it caught the side of your hole, and it was made a little bit of noise. Hey, what are you going to do? Stop, 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 stop. It's, it's, it's too much. It's too much. I mean, what other podcast are you listening to when in the middle of talking about Queen Elizabeth passing away, one of the hosts just decides to let go of, of his flatulence? You got, and then just, just have a conversation about it. <laughs> I didn't decide to. Just it's a natural thing in life. I've always wondered why people are so offended by it. I mean, everybody does it. It happens. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know. I, I have, you know, I've been eating a lot of broccoli lately. So, you know? yeah. Well, it's one of those things, too. Like, if you're ever on a date, you know, eventually you get to the point where he's walking around the house and you, house and you fart in front of each other. Well, that's like, when you know your relationship is deepened. Yeah, like the first couple of dates, if you did that, they'd probably be all pissed off at you. <laughs> no, it, it is. Uh, but, but that's where you know the level of your relationship. Uh, when you... When you take your morning constitution and, and you don't try to hide it or, uh, you know. That happened to me once. Say, you just say, I've got, I've got gas, babe. What, what yeah. do you want me to do? I mean, I remember not with the current lady fiance, but somebody from years ago, like our second date, I had accidentally ripped one. And she just looked at me and, and I just was like, I was like, you know, what are you going to do? And she was like, <laughs> oh, my God. And I don't know. I don't know that we, can't, we saw. And I was like, I mean, come on. You might as well. Hey, might as well make these adjustments now. Let's find Absolutely. out. Can you really handle what I'm all about? You know, God, yeah, man, my, my dad used to tell this story when he was playing at Oklahoma of this dude. I want to say his name was either Pendleton or Templeton. I can't remember which at this point, but it was some big ass giant offensive lineman. And my dad said he used to go in the locker room and just rip one. And all these dudes would just come running out of the locker room. It was that bad. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The way he tells it, it's hilarious. There's no need to be rotten. No, you no, you, you don't want to be that guy. No, you don't want to be that guy. Don't be Man, that sure. guy, okay? All right? Rot, rotten guy. So the other thing I have for you, and I don't know if you have seen this, but I think everybody, have you ever played Top Golf? Have you ever, I'm, I'm yeah. sure you know what it is, but you've actually been and played? Yes, I've played a couple times. Okay, well, this is really interesting because the Top Golf of soccer is really? coming to Dallas, and it will be the first club in the United States. It's expected to bring about 175 jobs. It's going to be in the design district, and it's actually going to be over there right next to Texas Ale Project. For those of you where that is. Yeah, for those of you that know that, they have a chunk of property over there, and they are developing it into a three-story, 57,000-square-foot space to accommodate, and I, I don't know how you pronounce this. It looks like to Toka. It's T-O-C-A football. Toka football, which debuted at Social Soccer Experience last year in August, and they now are building one right there, as I just told you, next to Texas L Project. And the way this works, it's really interesting. It'll have these, like you play in a box, essentially, kind of like Top Golf, 
Right. Each box can accommodate up to 12 players. And kind of like Top Golf, from what I understand looking at the pictures, you kick a soccer ball trying to hit different targets that are displayed on a screen in front of you. Well, now, uh, I don't know. I think uh, that'd be interesting. I mean, it, it makes sense. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, I'm trying to figure out, like, well, you know, you know. DF, DFW is a big soccer area. I mean, for like youth soccer and stuff like that. I mean, obviously, there's a high, like, the Hispanic population. Soccer is a huge deal in that community. The World Soccer Hall of Fame is in Frisco, up there where FC Dallas plays. No, or, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right up in, uh, deep up in Frisco. Um, I don't know. It seems like I'm trying to figure out if I would like to do that. Maybe I'd like to go out there once. This much I know. Soccer community is huge, uh, especially in Dallas. And uh, all the kids who play soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know? I mean, it sounds, it sounds like a good idea because then you can get your kids out there and just give it a whirl. Yeah. So that'd be very, very interesting to see when that launches and, and – you know, I've played Top Golf a couple of times. I, I, I personally, for me, I always kind of feel like it's overpriced, and I'd rather just play regular golf. But I get the appeal to it, and so this will be interesting to see. And I, I don't see any idea of when this is supposed to be finished or anything like that. But from what I understand, it's in the works right now. They're working on it, so I would assume sometime in 2023 that that will happen. But if you like Top Golf and you like soccer, well, there you go. Combine both of them. Knock yourself out. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> Hell yeah. I also know a place that you can enjoy yourself. That would be Smokey John's Barbecue. Oh, I saw the picture. You ran in over there at Smokey John's. What was that, yesterday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ran in. Uh, I, was, I was over there picking up something. I'm sorry. Yes, I picked up the jam session bowl. I had a craving. Uh, and I, I ran into Brent, uh, who's one of the two owners, Juan being the other one. And uh, we started chopping it up. And, uh, you know, I was over there probably for an hour before I left. <laughs> Just because I hadn't seen Brent in a while. I tend to see Juan more than I see Brent. And, uh, but Brent and I used to go to the same church for a long time. And uh, so, you know, he's been a friend of mine. So I just didn't see him. But uh, it was good to chop it up with him. Uh, he told me about some really exciting things they had going on at uh, Smokey John's, including the fact that I believe, and I'm sure Juan or Brent will correct me, but I believe they're going to be on, by the end of the month, they're expected to be on the shelves in HEB, the sauce and the rub. Should be fantastic. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, and I would imagine the Jam Session Bowl is amazing as always. I mean, it was delicious, although they were so popular yesterday that they ran out of mashed potatoes. And I had it for the first time with mac and cheese as a base. And then, uh, you know, they put on all the baked potato fixings, you mm. know, sour cream, butter. I, no, I told them to keep the butter off. Sour cream, chives, bacon. Drizzled it with a lot of barbecue sauce, some brisket. And some sausage, and it was fantastic, bro. God, that sounds amazing. Okay, can I tell the truth, man? Yes. Can I tell the truth? You ate the butter. No. that What I was eating when we started our show meeting today. Was the jam session bowl? It was leftover jam <laughs> session bowl from yesterday. <laughs> well, you know it was good because your butt liked it, so that's fantastic. <laughs> You know, I'll tell you, man, the Jam Session Bowl, they, again, they created a menu item just for us, guys. And if you get a chance, you know, so many of you I know have gone over there and checked it out. We get messages all the time that you've gone by Smokey John's. And I always love getting new people that have never been. They go, man, you guys weren't kidding around. This is amazing. Yeah, we're telling you. <laughs> it is awesome. It, it is. It's a, it's a local family-owned place, which you got to love supporting local, especially when it's family-owned. They're just wonderful people. 
but the food is really good. It's really good. If you like barbecue, you will love Smokey John's right over there off Mockingbird in between 35 and Love Field in Dallas. And if you can't get to the physical location, go online to SmokeyJohns.com, click on Smokey's Market, and you can order a bottle of the sauce or the rub, and they'll deliver it right to your door. Bro, it's fantastic. All of it's delicious. And uh, just go over there and eat as much as you can, man. Brent said, uh, Brent said he, they have so many people coming in asking for the jam session bowl that the new employees have to ask other people, like what other employees, like what is, what is this jam session bowl? I'm unaware of this. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome, man. So keep doing it, guys. It's awesome when you support the guys who support us. So we appreciate that very much. Much like HFX Foundation Solutions. I mean, everybody in the DFW area, if you are in DFW and you experienced what everybody there experienced this summer, the insane dry spell and heat, and then the random ass, oh, here's nine inches of water for your property. And the Texas soil is not designed to handle that. It screws up your foundation. If you've noticed cracks, sticking doors, sloped floors, soil washout, and you start having those concerns... It's a free, no-obligation inspection with HFX Foundation Solutions, another local family-owned business. Aaron and his guys, they will come out and get you taken care of. Well, you know, we tell you, <clears throat> excuse me, we tell you to go by HFX and have them give a colonoscopy for your home just to give you the peace of mind, man. Pick up the phone, give them a call, 817-770-0174, and say, hey, come check it out. Make sure my foundation is cool because when you got that peace of mind, man, it's great. Nobody wants foundation problems. They will wreck your life. Call Aaron and his team. Have HFX Foundation Solutions come over there and give you the peace of mind we all want. That's right. And they also keep in mind they can handle all that rain. You might have been like, man, I've got water on my property and my roof is weird. They also do drainage and gutter installations as well. So keep them in mind for that at HFX Foundation Solutions. 817-770-0174 or online at hfxfoundation.com. This is interesting in the NFL this year. This is really interesting to me. You and I were talking about this earlier. I was trying to figure out who do I want to pick this year to make the playoffs, the seven teams from each conference. And maybe you'll disagree, but here are my selections. And Because to me, I, I feel like you can make a case for a minimum of half of each conference to truly, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they won the Super Bowl this year. I really wouldn't. Now, you look over in the AFC, like, I look at this, man, you go through the AFC East. Yes, I have Buffalo winning the division. But then I'm like, Miami traded for Tyreek Hill. If Tua can take a jump forward, that is a Miami team that could really surprise some people. And oh, by the way, New England still has Bill Belichick, who made the playoffs last year with the rookie quarterback and Mac Jones, who should be better in year two. You look at the AFC North, Cincinnati just went to the Super Bowl with Joe Burrow. Baltimore still has a former NFL MVP hanging around in Lamar Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Cleveland, now they're not going to have Deshaun Watson until like the last back part of the season. Oddly enough, Pittsburgh's the team that I think will finish in last because Mitchell Trubisky is their starting quarterback. Bro, his third team in about four years. He's just a guy. He's hold. He's a placeholder till you know either Kenny Pickett gets it or yeah. or whoever else they draft down the road gets it. But he's he's there on a limited basis only. Yeah, and, and this is one of those years against Pittsburgh. Who do you fear on that team? Najee Harris. Load the box. Stop him. Make the quarterbacks beat us. And I don't think they have the quarterbacks. And really, I don't think they have the wide receivers. Juju Smith isn't there anymore. So it's interesting. The South. 
Tennessee, you think, okay, yeah, Tennessee, they were 12-5 and last year, the number one seed in the AFC. But Indianapolis just traded for Matt Ryan. They've got a good defense. They have a really good offensive line, and Indianapolis is going to run all over you with Jonathan Taylor. And now they have a quarterback with a good running game who's extremely capable of picking you apart. Indianapolis is a really interesting team to me. And then in the West, in, in the AFC, good luck. I... Derek, Derek Carr and the Raiders made the playoffs last year. They went out and added Devontae Adams. Denver went out and traded for Russell Wilson. Kansas City and Pat Mahomes aren't going anywhere, even though they lost Tyree Kill. And then, oh, by the way, here comes Justin Herbert and the Chargers. And they got Derwin James back. That's big for them. Um, it's about time for the Chargers to do something, man. Chargers have been getting a lot of hype for about two or three years, yep. especially since Justin Herbert showed up, and they ain't done nothing yet. It's about time if they're going to do something for them to do it. I, I realize Brandon Staley's only in his second year as a head coach, but man, not for long. That's what the NFL stands for. And uh, to me, they got it's time for them to make something happen. Nobody said they had to go to the Super Bowl, but it's just time for them to make something happen. Get to the playoffs, you know, win a game, do something. Yes, it's interesting to me, man, because honestly, I, it would not surprise me at all to see any of those four teams win the West. And I will say this in the AFC South. Don't overlook Jacksonville. They are going to. I am. I, I'm just saying, I don't think they're going to win the division, but they're going to beat a couple of teams they're not so, supposed to beat this year. I don't think they're there yet. But they changed that whole urban mind. That, that whole mentality is different. They got Travis Etienne back and healthy. They got two running backs they believe in. And Trevor Lawrence, who had as much hype as anybody coming in, the, the, the most can't miss that you can get since Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning went 3-13 and 13 his rookie season, had 26 touchdowns and 28 picks. In year two, that team went 13-3. and three. Now, I'm not saying that we're looking at that turnaround for Jacksonville, but I, th I think they're going to surprise some people. And with that mentality, with the idea, with Doug Peterson being there now, who's somewhat of a quarterback whisperer and understands that position, I just have a feeling about Jacksonville that they may, like they could go 7-10 and 10 and surprise some teams that didn't think that they would have to worry about them on their schedule. Uh, the best thing that happened to them is they got Urban Meyer out of there. Yeah. I mean, he just he just trashed the whole organization. Uh, it was a beat down. It was a mental beat down to show up to work every day. He was awful. He set their progress back two or three years. Uh, the best thing they did was not let their ego get in the way and just fire him when they did uh, before he could do any more damage to the franchise. Uh, we at least know Doug Peterson knows what he's doing, so yeah. they'll be a lot more competent. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it'd be interesting to see what they do because, they, I mean, they just had no chance as an organization last year. I don't even know that we can count last year. They should get like an ostrich, 0-0, zero, zero, and we don't, we don't even count any of the results from last year. Yeah, it, it almost feels that way, and, and you're looking at a team that's really struggled in recent years. But, I, and, and again, I'm not saying that I think they're going to just flip it and do the Peyton Manning thing. But it's weird because we forget this is a team that in 2017 was one play away, basically, from going to the Super Bowl. Remember that? They, they lost the Patriots in New England, and then they went 5-11, and 6-10, and 1-15, and 3-14 last year. So and they collapsed. They had a really great defense that way. But yeah. then they, you know, they traded all the good players. <laughs> they did. Uh, whether they couldn't reach contract agreements or whatever, they just they got rid of them, and this, this is what happens, man. It's a player's league. Don't think it's not. No, you're right, and, and you do have to kind of look at them and go, what the hell with Christian Kirk? But they went out, man. They have overhauled that receiving core. They got Marvin Jones, Zay Jones, and Christian Kirk now. 
They've got a second-round pick at left tackle. They have their third-round pick this year is going to start for them at center. They've got two first-round picks from the draft last year that we were talking about in Lawrence and ETN that'll be right. in their quarterback. They got two first-round picks this year in Devin Lloyd and Trayvon Walker, who are going to be on their defense. This is... I don't think this year, but they interest me. They're very intriguing in the next year or two. But when you look at the AFC overall, I had Buffalo winning the East. I took Baltimore to win the North. I took Tennessee to win the South, and I took the Chargers to win the West. And then my three wildcard teams, and this is how stacked this conference is. My three wildcard teams, I went with Miami. Because I'm going to buy into Tua, and I'm going to buy into the offensive weapons that Miami has. And right. there's always some team that surprises everybody. I took Cincinnati, and I took Kansas City, because I can't imagine Pat Mahomes misses the playoffs. But that, for me, that is leaving the Raiders and the Broncos at home. That's leaving the Colts at home. That's leaving the Patriots at home. All right, I'm trying to figure out what I did. Oh, hold up. I think I, I think I can look it up right here. But it's just such a stacked conference. I mean, there's so many good young quarterbacks in the AFC. Oh, absolutely. Okay, here's what I did. I went with uh Buffalo, Baltimore. I mean, I I didn't I didn't I didn't take any chance. I'm disappointed in myself. Buffalo, Baltimore, Indy, Kansas City is my division champs. Okay. There's not a lot of creativity there. Well, Indianapolis, I mean, I think that's a, a – I didn't have them in the playoffs, and, and I right. think that might be a mistake on my point. The Chargers, Cincinnati, and then I went with Denver in the playoffs, man, okay. which leaves Tennessee out. And I took Tennessee out because they traded A.J. Brown. Yeah. And, they're, and that, to me, that makes them more of a one-dimensional team. Like the beauty of AJ Brown was okay. We can, you know, you can you can load up eight and a half stop Derrick King if you want to. We will bust your behind here and there with AJ Brown, and without him, I think it leaves him vulnerable. That's fair. And so for me, I had Buffalo and the Chargers in the AFC Championship game with Buffalo getting over the hump and getting back to the Super Bowl with Josh Allen this year. I too have Buffalo in the Super Bowl. I don't know who I had him playing in the All championship right. game. And then we go to the NFC, and it's the, it's almost like the same thing to me. I, I don't quite think there's the depth in the NFC as there is in the AFC, but it's Philly and Dallas in the East. I'm taking Philly to win the division. The NFC North is interesting to me because Detroit and Chicago are still trash. I think Minnesota is going to surprise people this year. They've got an offense with a new offensive coordinator. They're going to – Kirk Cousins is, if you put weapons around him, Kirk Cousins can put up some numbers for you with Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison as their running backs with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and Irv Smith Jr. They've got a lot of good weapons and that defense doesn't suck. I like Minnesota to win the North because I honestly, the only reason I would choose Green Bay, oh, well, it's Aaron Rodgers. Cool. And who else? So I'm going Minnesota to win the North. I'm going Tampa to win the South. I'm not picking against Brady. And the South to me... Maybe Jameis and New Orleans have a little something. I don't buy into Atlanta or Carolina. And then the NFC West, Seattle's going to suck. But the other three teams, is Trey Lance really the answer? And are they going to be able to find out? Or do they have to go back to Jimmy G? I'm going to take the Rams to win the division. And my three wild card teams are Green Bay, Arizona, and the Dallas Cowboys to get the seventh seed over New Orleans. 
All right, all right. I went with uh, <clears throat> Philly. Uh, I went with Green Bay. Although in retrospect, I probably would have done like you and gone with Minnesota because I picked, I think they play this week, and I picked Minnesota to win. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I went with the Bucks. I went with the Rams. Although I, I went back and forth with that one. Yeah. Uh, my wild card teams were Arizona, San Francisco, because I think they can. I think Kyle Shanahan's a really good offensive coordinator, play caller, and he can make his offense so that it protects Trey Lance until he's ready to be a good player. And then their defense is, is really good, bro, to me. It is. And, when healthy, um, yeah. And I took Minnesota as my third wild card team, which has your Dallas Cowboys at the crib when the playoffs start. Which I can totally see. And and to me, I think I went with see, I was just trying something different. I it's so hard to repeat. I don't think the Rams are gonna do that. So I, I think Tom Brady is like like he came back for a reason. I'm going Tampa and Minnesota in the NFC title game because why the hell not? I wanted something different. And then give me Tampa in the Super Bowl against Buffalo. I went with uh, Philly, and I told you, I'm not quite sure how I got Philly in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Me neither, man. My thing is, I just don't know if I buy Jalen Hurts at that level. But if you yeah. can get to the playoffs, then why don't I buy him at that level? I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. I, you know, sometimes I just do these things in the preseason, man. But I have Buffalo winning it. Yeah, I have Buffalo winning the Super Bowl as well. We have the same Super Bowl picks. And you I know, think my dad's been a Buffalo Bills uh, season ticket holder. Yeah, somewhere around the fifty on the upper deck for damn near thirty years. So he deserves a, he deserves to go to the Super Bowl. I I honestly feel I to me they are very similar to where Kansas City was a few years ago, where Cincinnati was last year. Where I feel like everybody in America would be rooting for the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl outside of whatever city that other team is from. Right. Because it would just be such a wonderful thing to see a franchise that lost four straight and hasn't been back since and went through all that, just like they, they went through Andy Dufresne's river of shit to get to where they are now. I you know, it. It, it just feels, I, I would actually be actively rooting for Buffalo in a Super Bowl, assuming they weren't playing the Cowboys. <laughs> all right. Which obviously Dallas is not going to the Super Bowl. So it'll be interesting to see, man, but you just, you look at this in, I was curious what you think about this, and I made a note to, to bring this up because we, we kind of talked about this. There are so many good young quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And we always, well, Dak's not in the top five or whatever. Okay, but think about how many quarterbacks that a lot of, that are on these teams that I, that I honestly don't know how many teams would be willing to give up right now. And, and obviously there's not 32, but you kind of, we just went through them in the AFC then you look in the NFC, Dak, Jalen Hurts, who I think the Eagles are are really counting on. And, and they did for Lamar ja or for Jalen what Baltimore did for Lamar Jackson was they didn't ask him to be something he's not. And it works really, really well with their offense. Bro, that's what's up right there. More people should do that. Just do what let a person do what they do. Not what you hope they do, not what you wish they do. Uh but let them be who and exactly what they are. You, I guarantee you, you get a lot more for your bang. But that's really where it is in the NFL. Like To me, I'm looking at the quarterbacks because it's a quarterback league. It's an offensive league. And I look at the quarterbacks I believe in. And that's really part of the reason why I have some of these teams in. Like I don't believe in any of the quarterbacks in the NFC South except Tom Brady in Tampa. I don't believe in Baker Mayfield. 
I sure as hell don't believe in Jameis Winston. And then you look at the NFC West. Yeah, Kyler Murray, he can get it done. Matt Stafford. And right. like you're talking about with Trey Lance, that's kind of why I left him out. I'm not sure. And then Seattle, Seattle's going to suck. Why? Because they don't have a quarterback. Pittsburgh's going to struggle. Why? Because they don't have a quarterback. Yeah. No, you're right, bro. It's really interesting how many in the AFC. I mean, that AFC West could be nasty. I mean, like <laughs> no, it it will it should be. My only thing is, um, and you know, you just don't know how this thing's gonna play out. But when you yeah. have a guy like Josh McDaniel, you know how. Yes, it's your second gig, but again, you know, just how long it takes you to to get everything running the way you want to run it. It's hard to me for first time coaches to really do their thing. Um, you know, sometimes you just need a year to just to figure out your personnel, figure out everything that you got to do, even if you've done it before. And he didn't do it long enough for me to go, oh, you know, he can come in and put his program in. He ain't Bill Parcells. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, I can see that. So we'll see how it turns out, man. But I'm stoked. It's going to be another one of those fun NFL seasons. I really think we're going to see a very similar situation. Remember last year when there was like whatever it was, I think five teams in the NFC that were like 12 and five or whatever? Yeah. I think we're going to see a season very similar to that. I, I don't know that there's one team that's going to separate from the pack as much as there's going to be five to seven teams that are going to be from 13 and four to 11 and six that are all right there stacked together up with each other. And one of those teams that can, you Get can hot. make, yeah. Any one of the teams that make the playoffs in the NFC, I feel I like can win the Super Bowl. Um, sure, we should Dallas Cowboys would prove me wrong and get there. I hope so. We'll see. The other thing, I wanted to bring this up because I know a lot of people will listen to this on Friday, which means tomorrow we will get to see something we haven't seen in 100 years, and that is Alabama playing Austin against Texas. <laughs> they have okay, a, here's the question. Yes. Here's the question. How long will Texas fans watch the game? Well, I'm going to watch the entire game. but Okay, you don't, you don't count. I think, I think the casual fan will be done... Yes. I, I want to believe they can still hang around into the third quarter, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if by halftime they're kind of like, there's got to be something else better to do. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would love for Texas to, uh, you know, I, I don't really have a rooting interest in Texas, but I, I like Texas for some reason. Uh, I wish they were better. Maybe it's because I have some friends who went to Texas. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but I've never liked A&M. And I have lots of friends who've gone to A&M, but for whatever reason, I can just never get down with the Aggies. I was always more of a Texas fan if I had, if I had to pick. Well, that's probably so because I, Texas is more similar to Ohio State. Maybe so. I mean, I mean, the Aggies got a big time program, or, they? but I, they haven't really won, so maybe that's what it is. I don't know, but well, but to be fair, being, Queen Elizabeth was alive the last time they won a championship. Wow. She was born in 1926. That she was 13 years old. Probably remembers it well. You so cold. What? I'm just. I would. Uh, I would love to watch. Uh, see the Aggies be. I mean, see Texas be competitive. I'd love to see Texas be good. Just like this, just me, man. I like it when Notre Dame is good. I like it when those. You know, maybe because I'm an old dude now. I like it when those. Uh, when those traditional teams are good. I didn't say they had to be. You know, Alabama, but just you know, really competitive. Yeah, and this is going to be one of those games that I don't know how competitive they will be. This is going to be really, really rough. Texas does not have, we talked about this the other day, they don't have the trenches yet. They're much better defensively than they were last year. They had a lot of experience come back. They're better conditioned. They're more what Sark wants, but they don't have the offensive line or the defensive line to really match up well against with what Alabama is doing. 
But I wanted to bring this up because the last time these two teams played was January 7th, 2010, in what was the 2009 national title game. And right. everybody forgets this. Alabama was leading 24 to 21 with three minutes left, and they punted the ball back to Texas. Texas got the ball with three minutes, down by three. The, wow. the very next play after that, Garrett Gilbert was sacked, fumbled the ball. Alabama recovered it at the three-yard line, scored two plays later to make it 31-21 with two minutes left, and that was basically the game. Then Gilbert comes back out for the next series and throws a pick, his third interception, and, and Alabama scored immediately. And Because people look at it and go, oh, 37-21, they, they kicked their ass. No. A true freshman who had played only in mop-up duty that year came into the national title game and had Texas within three points with three minutes to go which is why a lot of people believe if Colt hadn't gotten hurt, Texas would have won that game because they point to that and go, well, a true freshman kept us pretty damn close. Right. But right. what happened after that game is fascinating to me because I was going through these numbers to bring up on my radio show earlier today. And since they walked off the field, Alabama, since they last played Texas, is 150 and 17. Texas is 83 and 67. Wow. Alabama has 67 more wins than Texas since the last time they played. Wow. And you start looking at the talent of these programs. Alabama, since that time, has had 38 first-round draft picks. Texas has had three. And they were all defensive players. Texas has not had an offensive player drafted in the first round since Vince Young in 2006. And frankly, Doug, that's all you need to know. I mean, think about that. I mean, that's really all you need to know. In that same time frame, since Vince Young, that's their one offensive player, Alabama's had 24 offensive first-round picks. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane. Since that game ended, so you go into the 2010 NFL draft until last year's draft in April, or this year's draft, Alabama has had 109 draft picks. Texas has had 38. Bro. It's insane. It's insane. As a matter of fact, this is... Uh, the stats on this are, are, are so stunningly just wonky about what the hell happened that night against Alabama because not only did Texas lose a national championship, they completely lost their identity in their football program because people forget about this. That very next year, I mean, this was a team that, that in 2008 went, what was it, 12-1, and one, and should have played for a national championship. In 2009, went 13-1 with their only loss in the national championship. And then right. in 2010, went 5-7. Jeez, what the hell happened? Where did Texas go wrong? What's the short answer? The short answer is when you read, and, and some of the people that I've talked to, Mac Brown kind of went into a funk, pouted, originally had told Will Muschamp that he was the head coach in waiting, and there was just, he truly believed that they were going to win that game. And he has said as much in, in years since then that they had a great game plan, that Alabama struggled with the mobile quarterback and some of the things that Texas could do offensively, and that when Colt got hurt, all that went out the window. And he thought so much they were going to win the game that apparently Muschamp was under the impression he was going to take over, that Mac was going to retire and ride off into the sunset. <laughs> well, that didn't happen, so Muschamp left and went to Florida. So they lost their top-notch defensive coordinator, and they just started letting some of those things slide that Mac had been on top of in the program. 
And once that happened, they, they just could never get it back. Cause he coached four more years after that. And they, they didn't, they went five and seven that one year. Then they went eight and five, then nine and four, then eight and five. And that was it for Mac Brown. They brought in Charlie strong who had to clean up four years of basically Mac, just letting anybody do what they wanted. And he got rid of a lot of guys, remember? But Charlie Strong, they just never, they never wanted him there. That, I don't think Charlie Strong really ever got a fair shake at Texas. Right. He had three straight losing seasons, and whether or not fairly, you can't lose three straight years in a row at Texas and keep your job. It's not going to happen. Mm. And so ever since then, but that's one of those wonky stats. Alabama's won six, six more national titles. Texas has had five <laughs> losing seasons since then. Wow. Unbelievable! It's crazy. I, I thought it was that. Now this is just me, and I'm not. You know, I, I'm a casual follower of Texas. Not a. Uh, not a. I keep up with every move that they make. I just look at the quarterbacks that they had. They never replaced. They really never replaced Vince, and even as good as Colt was, you could live with Colt. But they did. The quarterback play has not been worth a damn in general. And and even though they were getting five stars, because I think Garrett Gilbert was a he five was a five star. star yes. Uh, that's their other thing. They've gotten plenty of five stars, relatively speaking, but the the development of Texas players has been awful. Whether they were, and this, you know, and I don't know the answer to this, whether they were overrated when they showed up as five stars and four stars, or whether the development issue at at Texas is the problem, and which goes down to coaching. And here's what I mean, bro. And I won't even use my program. We'll use Alabama. Alabama's five stars show up, and they typically end up playing like five stars. Now, you could say, and I haven't looked at it closely enough, Matt, you could say, well, Taylor, they get six five stars, four of them become what you think, and two of them flame out. But because they got those four, you never hear about those other two who flamed out. Whereas Texas may be getting two, but if they're both flaming out, you know, that's that's why they're in the situation they're in. But a program like Texas, bottom line, should not have three first round picks in 10 years no you yeah, shouldn't we, we had three first rounds like in one year yeah i mean the, the pro ohio state alabama held georgia i mean think about that georgia had 15 players drafted last year in the draft alone you know yeah. and, and so texas hadn't been on that level in a long time but the recruiting what's interesting it's been the development because you look at it in the 13 classes since they played that national title they have nine top 10 classes in 13 right. years and they have six top five classes they haven't right. developed they're anybody not, they're not developed for whatever reason and again it could be that the guys are overrated but it seems to me when you have that long a history it's about coaching development and um because players aren't dumb man players want to go where they can get to the league they want to compete for national championships and they want to get for the league to the league and if i can't compete for a national championship i at least want to be getting to the league and at Texas lately, you ain't been getting, you haven't been doing either one of them. Right. And it's interesting because, you know, Craig Way, who's been calling Texas games for over 20 years, you know, Craig, and I had him on the show today and I asked him, I said, what, you've been there long enough. I mean, he was there at the, almost at the beginning of the Mac Brown tenure, went through Strong and Herman, said, you've been around all these guys. You talk to them constantly. Why is Sark different? And he said something that I thought was really interesting. And that was the idea. He said, Sark is the only guy since Mac, and obviously it's just Charlie Strong and Tom Herman, he said, but he came in knowing that this needed an overhaul. And he tried to kind of, you know, did he think it was going to go five and seven last year? No. But he knew that Texas was nowhere near where he needed them to be. And he knew, 
He said flat out at the beginning of uh, at the end of last year when they went through that goes we're gonna this is going to be a, a huge roster overhaul. There's going to be thirty to thirty five new faces, and they have thirty five new players who weren't on this roster last year. And even still, yes, it's headed in the right direction. But Sark, I thought that was interesting. He's like Sark has, has almost been patient with an understanding of we're not on the Alabama level. We're not where we need to go because I've been around programs like that, and this is going to take a couple of years to turn the roster over with a lot of hard work recruiting to get to a point where we can have an expectation that we can even compete with a team like Alabama, much less beat them. No, nah, man, that's, uh, that's actually a great point, and I'm going to put it like this. Uh, Jackson State, because Dion's a good example. They won their first game against the team that was picked to be second to them in their division, but the second best team in the Southwestern Athletic Conference, and they beat them 59 to three. And a couple weeks ago, I had somebody tell me, says, you know, we only got six players left from when DM, from when Coach Prime showed up. And I said, six? He's like, yeah. And think about it, man, they only had the COVID season and last year. (laughs) And they've only got six guys left. And none of those guys start. They're they're like, you know, backups or or GPA guys or whatever. They're just, you know, but they've only got six. And that's what it takes when you come to a program that you're trying to make it a championship program, not put a Band-Aid on it. That's what you do. You break it down and um, hope you have enough time to build it back up. Yeah, and that's one of those. I mean, Sark's trying to do that at Texas. He had a really good recruiting class last year. They obviously, I mean, they're starting two of those guys on the offensive line. And he right now, and again, this will change. You you never know. But right now they have the number two recruiting class coming up for the class of 2023 behind Alabama. And they've continued to recruit really well. Now the key is, can you develop that talent and turn it into something more than what we have seen in Austin in a long time? And if you can, it'll be similar to what Mac was able to do. Because you go back, you look at the 15 years before Mac got there which takes you kind of like halfway through the Fred Akers era and then all of David McWilliams and John Makovich, they only had three 10-win seasons in 15 years. Well, it's been 13 years since they played for that national title. They've had one 10-win season. So they're going through another one of those cycles. And if they hit on Sark, there's a a real reason to believe that they can have that kind of Mac Brown success. Man, that was a loud car in the background. I was like, God, are you on the street? Are you okay? (laughs) <laughs> for real no that was somebody ripping ass <laughs> if that's a rip ass man you got a whale walking down the street <laughs> watch out for yourself <laughs> but we will be back with you i mean i'm so stoked for this weekend because alabama and texas i've been looking forward to this it's it's interesting too because i don't know how many that that listen i'm, I'm sure i've talked about this before but the lady fiance went to alabama she is a diehard Alabama Crimson Tide fan. Ever since I've been with her, I have seen, even when we were living in Dallas, I have seen every snap of Alabama football because that's what she likes to watch. This is the first time in our relationship that we will not be on the same side watching the game, that I'll be rooting for Texas and she'll be rooting for Bama. Mm. It's interesting because I'm going to be wearing my Texas stuff. She'll be wearing her Bama gear. I said, man. And I told her, I said, look, Went with class. Well, I I said next year, next year will be interesting because Texas is going to be much better next year when they go to Tuscaloosa and Alabama will be losing their quarterback, losing Will Anderson. And Texas will have the experienced quarterback coming in and some of those pieces. Next year's game is going to be a better game. I said, I don't think I'll be that 
I don't know that there'll be that weird dynamic between us because I have I have no belief that Texas is going to stay on the field with Alabama. Zero. Right. As a matter of fact, right. I think I think when I do my show on the radio on Friday, my prediction will be fifty-two to seventeen Alabama. Whoo, boy! And that, but that's that's Texas putting up seventeen points on that Bama defense. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And I did. The line is Alabama favored by twenty. I I I put some money on Alabama to cover. Hey, I ain't mad at you, bro. I do not see Texas <laughs> hanging within three touchdowns of this team. Realistically, I'm hoping it's more like a forty-five to seventeen game. Maybe that's what I should say. That probably because that's Alabama covering, and that's just twenty-eight points, right? And that's man, that sounds better in my mind than fifty-two. Yeah, maybe it maybe forty-five <laughs> to seventeen. Yeah, I like that one better. Okay, maybe we'll go with that. All right, so there you go. Enjoy the weekend, another great weekend of college football. And the Cowboys, man, the next time you hear from us, we'll be taking a look back. We both think that Tampa's going to beat them in game one. Maybe we're wrong. A lot of thoughts coming your way on the next podcast dropping Monday morning. Be ready for that. Enjoy your weekend, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.